Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Game prototype, a horror game. Perfect for a total beginner to make your own game prototype in Unreal 4. Within the We Make course, you can choose from three disciplines. Design 3D art or UI, UX artists. Even learn all three at no extra cost. In addition, you'll have a game industry professional meeting with you every week to guide you through the weekly assignments. If you're interested, you can pre-register for the course anytime before class starts. We are taking in a limited amount of students to keep the learning experience intimate and personal. Email brandonfam at gameschoolonline.com for more info. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world and internationally and in outer space because that is right we broadcast to the nasa russian satellite that's out there somewhere this is game dev unchained the podcast the number one podcast for the lifestyle and entertaining stories of video game developers and today because he asked very nice and his mom actually gave me 10 bucks to let him come back my co-host my best friend mr brandon fam Hey, thanks again, Larry. Uh, please, please welcome our special guest this week, Jay Wilson. Woo. How you doing, Jay? Hello, Jay. Hello, I'm good. How are you? Dude, good, good. Good to have you, man. It was I... great, man. <laughs> so happy to like, finally the, talk to you in person. And then the silence afterwards, which is also good <laughs> podcast radioing. Oh, don't even yeah, worry. Yeah. So I've got this thing called Audacity, like... No one will even know. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> no, just kidding. So, uh, honestly, thank you very much for being a part of this episode. We oh, definitely wanted to have... Pleasure. Yo, thank you. Thank you. We uh, wanted to have a seasoned guest to come and talk about burnout in the game industry because that's definitely something that new people need to know about. And, you know, some of the, I guess, uh, the veterans like myself, Brandon, and yourself, uh, I like to add myself to that category now. We like it's something that we deal with, you know. Like at this stage in in our career, you're like you go to work almost every day. Like, man, is today the day, or am I sticking it out? You know. So it's a very important episode to myself and to the audience as well, and the studio audience behind Brandon today. We'd like to hear all about your experiences going up into and through the industry, and then when you decided that maybe you had had enough. So yeah. Okay. Before that? we go and tackle that uh, topic, uh, do you mind Jay going over? Your experience, uh, just to give the audience an idea of where you worked and where you're from. Well, um, I was in the game industry for about 20 years. Um, yeah, I started. It's like three at, times uh, the a game oh, developer. Yeah. It's it's it was a while. I started at a little company called Q Studios, um, okay. which was making a first-person shooter called Blood. Um, Q Studios got acquired by Monolith. Oh, I know. Uh, a lot of people probably probably nobody's heard of Q Studios. Hopefully, a lot of people have heard of Monolith. Um, worked at Monolith. Worked at Cave Dog uh, Entertainment. Worked for EA for about eight months. Worked at a company called Relic. Oh, um, Relic. And uh, Relic was where I made sh- first-person shooters up till then. Relic. I was a uh, lead designer on a game called Impossible Creatures. Mm-hmm. Was a lead designer and really kind of came up with the concept for. Um, uh, Donald Moore uh, was the design director on Company of Heroes, although I would give 
most of the credit for that, almost all the credit to uh, Josh Mascara, who's the lead designer, and Quinn Duffy, who was kind of his right hand, and the, I don't know, 100 other people who worked on it who were way more than any of us. Um, and then I went from there to work at Blizzard, um, right. and I was the game director on Diablo 3. Um, I worked a little bit on Titan, which was the MMO that got that didn't see the light of day, um, and um, some other projects internally, and then on, on uh, World of Warcraft Legion. Oh, nice. Hey, well then, uh, pre-congrats, and uh, I'll be sending you directly my $49 if you would like. <laughs> no, you should probably send it to Blizzard, because I'm. you could send it to me, but you're not getting Oh, you're not getting any back. What's the, I, I will I will buy a game in your honor. If you do. Yeah, early congrats on the launch for that game. It's, uh, only a couple weeks away. Thank you. Yes, so, I'm very proud. Yes. I think it's I, I think it's going to be really good. I hope so. I hope so. That game. Uh, I was at the Art Institute with Brandon where we met when World of Warcraft came out. So like my whole entire life from college till now, like a, a good chunk of it was devoted to World of Warcraft. So many good stories. So. It's cool to meet another developer from it. Yeah, tell me about it. It was also like a good five, six years of my life about all I did. Yeah. So. <laughs> that, I mean, and that's 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 going to be that's, my that first is question. Is like, I've always talked to developers. Like, for example, a couple of my friends work on games like Madden or NBA 2K. And my long-running joke for them is like, what would you do last year? Oh, I updated the grass <laughs> textures. What would you do next year? I updated the grass textures. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're working on one game for five years, and I'm not even talking about career burnout, just content-wise, do you feel like you get into, a, like, oh, man, you know, more orcs, you know, more night elves, more of the same? Yeah, it's um, – it, yes. And yes and no. It kind of depends upon the project. Okay. Um, because I've had two kind of projects that went um, longer, um, and of those, you know, Diablo three was one of them. Um, and um, Diablo three was the longer by far. So I was on it um, almost eight years. Um, and on the one hand, that's a long time to work on a game. On the other hand, it was Diablo, and yeah. so it's kind of easy to be interested in Diablo for a long period of time. It was an extremely challenging project with. Um, right. You know, when you're making something at a company like Blizzard with the standards that it has, the the day to day is not. It, you never know. Like you just never know what you're going to come in and face that day, and so it keeps it interesting. Um, I'd say that um, also it was easier that the longer projects came later in my career. I, I built up some stamina by that point. <laughs> Like Blizzard is known for its long dev cycle, and yeah. it puts out <laughs> quality. So everyone in the industry understands that. On one hand, it gives you the stability that everybody seeks for. Like eight years in development, it's it's pretty much a lifetime for a game developer. But in a single company on a single project, you know, some people see that as a blessing. Um, if we go all the way back in the beginning of your career, what were your expectations entering the industry? Did you foresee long? You, you near near the end of just spending so many years on on a single project, or oh, I, I never would have imagined it. I mean, but I, I came into the industry in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. and at that point, I'm, I mean, I was around the Doom age. Like uh, Doom, I made levels for Doom as a hobby, oh, and that's geez. how I got my first job. Yeah. So 
um, at the time, I didn't have really a lot of expectations about what the industry was. I just assumed it was a small number of programmers who just made games for fun. I, I really didn't know anything. I didn't know you could do anything in the game industry if you weren't a programmer. Um, and so my expectation when I got into it was this is a better job than the last job I had. Um, so, um, and I assumed that I would work a lot of hours. Um, but at the time, you know, I was, I was young and I was single and all I did was play video games anyway. So it seemed acceptable to me. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of expectations going in. I think I would feel a lot differently now if I was entering the industry as a 20 year old than I did then. Well, then let me kind of ask, I guess, the opposite of that question. And maybe if you didn't have any expectations of the industry, did you have any personal goals or short term or even long term goals when you were kind of going in? Like, did you think 20 years and then I'm done? Or were you like, let's just see how this goes? Where was your mindset? Well, um, pretty much throughout my entire career, I I just decided I do this because um, I want to play games that I can't play now. Okay. So I would say, like, I remember back in the late, I think it was the late 90s, a game came out from LucasArts called Outlaws, okay. um, which is a first-person shooter um, in a Western setting. And I really wanted to make first-person shooter in a Western setting because I love FPSs and I love Westerns. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, you know, I was really excited when it came out because I'm like, oh, great. And I love the game. And I had a friend of mine who's like, oh, doesn't that make you mad? You wanted to make that game. I said, no, it's awesome. I don't have to make that game now. Someone <laughs> yeah. made it for me. Yeah. And so that was kind of always my intent. Was I always had a game I wanted to make. Okay. Uh, whether that was... Now, I didn't always get to make that game. And right. A lot of, I'd say, the first 10 years of my career was, I really, really want to make this game. No one will let me make it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until Dawn of War that the, I really, really want to make this game, and the game I'm making is the game I really, really want to make. Um, so up to that point, it was, uh, I really want to do a good job on this in the hopes that I will then get to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the whole time it's like, you know, that's, it's degrees because I wanted to make games and I was making games, but I wanted to make very specific games. And that was kind of the next step. So step one, stay in this industry, <laughs> continue to be able to make games, short term goal, long term goal, make exactly the games I wanted to make. That was kind of my, that was pretty much it throughout yeah. my career. Yeah. I can't say that I was much of a planner. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, one of the things I often tell people about and when I give them advice is a lot of people do have these really strong goals. Like, I'm going to be a game director in the next five years, or I'm going to be this. I want to get to the next level. I want to get a promotion. I wanna, and I always tell them, you know, the number one thing I did was I always just wanted to be better at my job. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you're always trying to be better at your job, um, if you're always trying to make the lives of everyone around you, and especially those above you, easier, then you know I think a lot of people might see that as compromise. I just saw it as like, well, they hired me to do a job. If I do that job well, they're going to reward me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I make a good game, then people will let me make another good game. So now that doesn't mean I always, I'm tangenting now, but that doesn't mean I always did, you know, exactly what everybody wanted from me a lot of the times i would go well this is the thing i think will make the really good game even though people are saying don't do that Mm -hmm. and i'd still do it anyway because it's what i thought would make the best game um so so that would be a little list of strange priorities that i had 
It's profound, though. As simple as you yeah. may think it is, it's profound advice. And I'm glad all the students that are listening right now get to hear that. That's actually really good. Yeah. I feel like one of the biggest holes that a game developer goes into is that they feel that they have to feel, uh, you know, just beef up the resume by just going after titles or job positions. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to arrive at that point. But uh, I feel like a lot of the developers that I've met kind of run out of steam because once they reach that point it's like what else is there after you're mm-hmm. elite you know what <laughs> if it's not for games yeah, I mean, what is it for yeah we had a saying at blizzard um which was learn and grow it's one of our core values of the company and um and i'm you know i'm not a big like core values of the company kind of guy it sounds very yeah. corporate which is actually yeah. one of the things i like about blizzard because blizzard's not very much about, it's not a very corporate company, even though they have lots of some corporate things like that. But you know, their their number one um, core value is gameplay first. Like, right. what, that's an awesome. Like, what corporation has that as a core value? Their number one core value. But one of them was learn and grow, and the, it was just this idea of like the you know what you really should be doing is learning and getting better. Like that's the only way you can become the best is you constantly learn and you get better. And if you're ever wondering what you should be doing next, well, how could you learn? How could you get better? Those should, if you can answer those questions, that's what you should be doing next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no arguing that Blizzard is one of the top companies. I mean, there's very few game companies can stand toe to toe with Blizzard. And with that type of thinking, it's easy to see why Blizzard is so successful and pretty much all their projects at least the ones that see the light of day, uh, have been all hits. So uh, you mentioned before that, you know, being at Blizzard at a, such a large company, um, being at such a high position at the company, and handling such a important IP for the company, what type of pressures or, or things that you were uh, hesitant on when, before uh, starting the project or things happened during the project that you felt... Uh, comfortable enough to share. <laughs> wow, that's a that's kind of a huge question. Yeah. So it's funny. I, I originally interviewed at Blizzard um, because my idea was if I can talk to Rob Pardo, I can learn some things and use those to make make my job make myself better at the company I'm at. And I say that because I didn't think he'd ever hire me. I mean, I, I wasn't wasn't good enough to work at Blizzard. Like I, you know. And then they wanted to hire me, and I took the, well, it's a long story. I actually didn't take the job right away. But eventually they talked me into it, and I, I came. And and, um, and then it was just total imposter syndrome. I waited every day for them to show up and tell me that I shouldn't be there, <laughs> um, you know, to, to be escorted out. Um, my wife used to say, you're so sure that you, you're, you're no good, that you fooled everyone into thinking that you're actually good at your job, and yet you tell me that everyone around you is smarter than you. So how did you fool them? Um, but, the um, yeah, it, it's hard to answer that question um, yeah. because it's such, I mean, it's like eight years of a project. What do I, I say? So when, I think when I came in, the thing I was really afraid of was um, I don't, one, I wanted to make a good sequel to Diablo. Like, I love Diablo. I didn't understand why there hadn't been a sequel already. I didn't understand why other people weren't making Diablo-like games. It didn't make mm-hmm. any sense. So I'm like, well, I want to make a good sequel. Like, uh, and and that, so that was my first goal. And then my second goal was um, I, I don't want to stagnate. 
Um, and that's those are very tough because on the one hand, making a good sequel a lot of the times is just being true to what was there before. But if you stagnate, then you know that's not good either. And yeah. so there's this balancing act of like, well, how do you not? How do you how do you get those two things right? And so the way we just I just always try to look at it is well, what what annoys the crap out of me when I play Diablo? Uh, and so those are the things we try to attack with okay. and, and go after and. You know, the nice thing about Blizzard was it was the first time in my career that um, the design process was so thoroughly supported, mm. um, where essentially I would go, well, let's try this out. And they would say, well, is that going to work? And I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. That's why we're going to try it out. Like, you, it's an experimentation process. So mm. we're going to put it in the game. And anywhere else I would have worked, they'd be like, well, why are we putting it in the game if you don't know if it's going to work? <laughs> because probably they're looking at their bank account and they look at you as like, no, we're not going to try that. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, everyone looks at and look at like um, uh, the other forms of of creativity within the game industry, art and and programming um, and production, all those the different um, disciplines, and each one kind of has structure mm-hmm. yeah. um, that has p- partially has come with history. Like, right. there's a long history with programming. There's a long history with art. They experiment, but their experimentation is a lot more understandable, and it doesn't yeah. really require anybody else. Like yeah. you can with with programming, you can just program, and if it, something doesn't work, nobody really knew that it didn't work. You threw it out, and you did think something. You did the next thing. You probably had four or five iterations to get to the thing that worked. Right. You know, the same thing with an artist. If you want to be better at drawing hands, what do you do? You draw hands a million times. Yeah. Right. So the first nine hundred ninety nine thousand times are failures. Or they're not as good as you could possibly be. And so with design, the problem is is that you have a hard time doing work on your own. You usually need other people. And so, which means you usually usually need them to do work that some percentage of is going to get wasted. Um, And so Blizzard was the first place I went where, um, while there's always some resistance to that, the majority of the time, everybody on the team was like, okay, well, let's try it out and let's play it and let's see what it's like. Um, and that was incredibly gratifying um, as a designer to be able to, to do. And so, um, so yeah, uh, I mean, I guess the short answer to the question is um, almost every decision I made was terrifying. Um, and, um, and I know, but, you know, I also felt like, well, I have all these people around me and they're making the decisions with me and they're supporting me and they're helping me and Blizzard's not going to let me screw up. You know, because they're not going to let me release something terrible. And if it goes out and there's mistakes, which Diablo 3 certainly had mistakes when it shit, um, we'll fix them, which we did. Um, That's the great thing. You know, that's one of the things that I think um, is almost the oddest to me about kind of the modern day where people, you know, you release a game. If it's not perfect, kind of everybody goes crazy on the Internet. I can understand that for most companies. Why do you do that with Blizzard? Like Blizzard, we always make it better. Yeah, every time. Um, so we listen and we we try to respond. So I realize that's probably not the best answer to the question. The question's oh, very broad. <laughs> no, it's great. I want to I want to say like now I know we kind of hinted at like eight years being like a that's not so bad when it's at Blizzard because they they usually take a very long time to make their games. But like I don't really complain about Blizzard releasing shoddy product. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I haven't had that experience yet. So. Sure. I don't think I don't think Blizzard is I think Blizzard's 
Blizzard's good is better than most people's great. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how I feel about the company. And that, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that, but that's me. That's the company. That's the people I work with. Like they would not let me be anything, but Blizzard quality. Like I I just, no one, the people around wouldn't allow it. And that was for that. I I thank them because they made me much better at um, pretty much everything I do. Um, which was really, really wonderful experience. That's, that's, that's really good to hear, man. I, anyone out there who's thinking about applying to Blizzard but doesn't think they're good enough yet, apparently apply anyway. You never know, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you should always apply to any job you want. Like, what's, yeah. what's, you know, I read something the other day, with, this is related to writing, but the failure rate for trying to get a, your own book published is 99%. The failure rate for never trying is 100%. Ooh. Yeah. So, that's, you know, why, what are you going to harm? Like you send in an application to Blizzard every day mm-hmm. if yeah. that's where you want to work or to Bethesda or to, um, you know, any company you want to work at. Like if you want to work there, why wouldn't you well, bug, the, bug the crap out of them? They got people that that's their job. Their job is just to try and find talent. If you think you're talent, make yourself visible to them. Um, I wouldn't get stuck on working on one place because I think, I've seen people who are like, well, I'm only going to take a job if I can work at this one company. Mm-hmm. Really? You're not going to take experience somewhere else? You know, it's a tough industry. Yeah. You should take whatever you get, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't shoot for the stars. Yeah. Well, speaking of it being a tough industry, uh, you kind of mentioned this before. At the beginning of your career, you were more uh, open to crunching. Like, as a concept, you understood it, you expected it, and it happened. Um, what, what are your current thoughts uh, and specific experiences on Crunch? And uh, how, how do you think it actually uh, works with the industry as a whole? Well, um, so I, I have fairly strong opinions about Crunch. Um, but they're also, com- <laughs> they're also complicated opinions. <laughs> Um, he just spit on the side right now. <laughs> yeah, so I'll talk about I'll talk about um, Dawn of War because okay. Dawn of War was a project where we made it in like 21 months, which is a very short time period wow. um, with a very small team, um, and we actually didn't crunch that much. Um, and there were a lot of reasons for that. And some of the reasons were we we gauged quality at different levels. Like we looked at the single like one of the complaints about um, Dawn of War was that the single player game wasn't that great like it was okay but it wasn't that great well we knew like going out of the gate that it was not going to be the best single player game mm-hmm. um, and our reason being that we felt like well we have this very small amount of time this very small amount of money um, what can we make great that will make the project a legendary project we said well if the game itself is just ridiculously awesome and the single player is alright then everyone's going to go, wow, that was such a great game. I wish it had a great single player. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it had a great single player, but the game itself was just meh, who cares? Yeah. Like no yeah. one's going to remember it. Um, so we really weighed like what we wanted to do on that project relative to the time and the money that we had. We, mm-hmm. took, we decided on the things that needed to be great. And then we actually tried to make sure that the team – we were almost underambitious with our goals. Mm-hmm. And that sounds very counterintuitive. And it's is honestly a, a how you run a project thing more than how you work on a project, which is um, 
one of the things that happens on a lot of projects is you get on there and you have these goals. You have like, oh, this is our goals for September. And people want to be ambitious because if you're not ambitious, then no, you're not shooting for the stars. And so that includes the people who are running the projects. And so they set these goals that are really ambitious um, and everybody works their butts off and they probably don't hit them because they were probably too ambitious and disasters happen and things came up and just, you know, you never know. And so you don't hit the goals and then you feel like, wow, we were really ambitious, but we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish. That happens month after month after month and you just stop caring. Like, you don't take the schedule seriously. You don't really, like, well, we never hit our goals. So how seriously are we actually going to take them? Mm -hmm. So I feel like you almost have, you want your people to be really ambitious. But when you run a project, you actually want to be really conservative. You want to make sure, hey, we want our people to hit their goals every time. Like, I, I would go in and change goals in the middle of a milestone just to make sure that everyone hit them. Yeah. Um, because if you hit your goals that becomes a value. Like it becomes this thing of a source of pride. Like we, we do, we say we're going to do some shit. Can I say bad words? Yeah, go ahead. No, go for it, man. We say we're going to do some shit and we do some shit. Yeah. We get it done. Yes. And that becomes a, a big source of pride. Um, and so for Dawn of War, that's what happened. Like most of the um, uh, overtime that we worked was actually quality based. We went, well, we got this thing done, but it's not good enough. Mm. So we're going to work some overtime to make it better. And when you work overtime for those reasons, it actually feels pretty awesome. Um, we, on a project that I run, I would never in a million years tell someone who has gotten all their work done that they have to stay late because yeah. somebody else has to stay late. Right. That so oh many projects, God. people, we're all going to stay late. I was, you know, because they, we're all one big happy team. Screw yeah. that. <laughs> like, if you want to stay late and do some things, great. But you don't guilt people into, into crunch, especially the people who've gotten their work done. Like, right. that's not a way to build team solidarity. That's a way to tear teams apart. Seriously, from what I've so, seen, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, um, no, go ahead. From what I've seen personally, I'm not gonna name names or point fingers, but you'll have someone who will you know, work really hard and get all their stuff done. And then the producer will be like, wow, you're done already? Here's more yeah. stuff. Yeah. Because the other people are yeah. slow. It's yeah. And that's the thing is like if you if that's your structure, then that feels bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the structure that we built on Dawn of War was we had this list of things that get that got done, and if you got done early, then you could optionally go onto the list and grab something. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Then you were a superhero. Mm -hmm. Like that's the way we treated it. It was like, wow, you did something that wasn't even on your list. Yeah, you're amazing. Like, but we didn't have a producer come by and say, "Oh, you got your list done? Well, here's a new pile of work for you." Yeah, God. We we set it up such that the production side, the goal on the production side was to make work available, right? Not to dump work on top of people. There's always this sense of you can't trust your people because mm -hmm. your people are going to goof off if you let them. Like, well, I have a feeling if you think they're going to goof off, if you treat them like that. Honestly, they probably will. But if you assume that they won't, if you trust them and say, well, we're assuming that you're going to do work, that you're going to be great, then that's what they're probably going to do. On the flip side of that, though, I had someone come to me early in Diablo and say, we really think we can make this project without doing a lot of crunch. And this was a, probably about a year in. And I told them, not the way we're working right now. Yeah. Said, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we're not working that hard. Like, 
everyone, I, I see we are goofing off a lot. Like we're not taking it very seriously. Like we know we have this like, oh, well, we, it's Blizzard. We've got all the time in the world. And that's not to say that there's a whole bunch of people on the project who can offer or anything or that people at Blizzard don't work hard. Right. I, I'm not saying that at all. But what I was saying was early on in the project, we were not very focused. Um, and part of that was how we were managing, but part of that is how your people look at it. And like, if your people are not, if they're not also coming to the table and working really hard to get all their work done or to, or pushing, like what's our, what's our next goal? What can we accomplish next? If they're not coming at it at, from that direction, then they're not doing their side of it. So mm -hmm. I think it's a two way street. On the one hand, I think you can say like, yeah, pro projects are, can be mismanaged. And if they're mismanaged, then you can have crunch because they're mismanaged. You can also have people on the project who aren't focused and don't focus enough and don't work hard enough. And if that's the case, well, then projects can go late because of that. So there's always a lot on you get on these big teams. There's a lot of us versus them. You know, and I'm sure there's somebody somebody who was on the Diablo team listens to this will probably go, he's talking about me. He's saying I didn't work hard enough. No, I'm not saying you didn't work hard enough. I'm saying that it's a team effort yeah. and it's not usually just management's fault. It's not usually just the people on the project's fault. It's usually everyone working together yeah. to screw things up. Yeah. So on the man, on the, on the employee side, I think it's, Hey, always do everything you can to show up every day. And, and when you're working, when you're there working work, like if you want to work nine to five and you want to leave after that, I know guys who come in, they are at their desk and they are focused and they get everything done and then they leave at five. Yeah. Like I know guys like that who work in the game industry, who worked on, uh, on projects that I worked on, which had a lot of crunch, who didn't do a lot of crunch because their work was always done. And if you focus like that, you, know, you don't really usually need to do a lot of crunch. On the other side, I would say to people managing projects, you really have to not think of your, you have to think of things differently. You have to think about how you want to structure things for your people, not for your own personal goals. You have to be reasonable about what you can accomplish. And that doesn't mean being unambitious, but it does mean thinking about how, how your ambitions and your goals feel to your people. Mm. Are they accomplishing their goals? Do they feel good about them? If they yeah. don't, that's not just their fault. That's probably at least half your fault, maybe more. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's how I feel. I realize that's again a somewhat long, complicated answer. No, it was really well said. Like it was very important. Um, I, I will say mentioned... I don't think I've never worked on a project that didn't have some crunch. You're right. And I, I do think that some is almost always going to happen. Right. Um, but I've also worked on a lot of projects where I feel like the amount of crunch was very reasonable and that where most of the people on the project felt like the amount of crunch was very reasonable. Mm -hmm. So if you go in thinking, I wouldn't go into the game industry as a nine to five job, yeah. but I also would say if you're working more than 60 hours a week for six months straight, yeah. that's also too much. Yeah. yeah. So there's a middle ground there. What I love is three weeks of no crunch and one week of crunch. Okay. I love that pattern. I think that's a great pattern. Um, Crunching for goals like BlizzCon or E3. I really love goals like that. I think they're super useful. Like they really get everybody focused. Right. And 
bit of crunch like that feels amazing if you if you hit a goal if you have an amazing e3 or an amazing blizzcon feels amazing it's great yeah i mean it's a good opportunity for all departments to to work together to actually accomplish something instead of everyone kind of in their own cubicle uh attributing to the final uh part of the game which you don't see for a long time so seeing it in every increments like two three months as a whole it kind of reassures everyone that the quality is where we want it to be yeah um, and i will i'm gonna i'm gonna add in just i know i said something and i probably will say something that's gonna tick somebody off and so i'm sorry <laughs> I, I, you know i'm sorry i didn't mean it <laughs> you know i think the people who've worked with me know like i'm very very opinionated but i i I, you know, I harder on myself than anyone else by far. Yeah. Um, well, Diablo took eight years, right, to, to make the game. And, uh, it actually took eight, longer. Yeah. I was on for eight years. <laughs> on for, yeah, so it was on for longer. So I, I would say every time a Blizzard releases a game or develops a game, there's about 50 studios that closed down during that period. <laughs> For the same issues that you mentioned, right? Either uh, being overly ambitious, uh, or just not planning correctly, or just everyone messing up a bit, and the whole game uh, just doesn't come to light. Uh, what's your assessment of the AAA business model right now? Um, and you can kind of talk about your successes and failures that personally affected you. That'd be awesome. But like, just analyzing how and where it's going. For the listeners out there, based on your experience and your thoughts, well, I think we're I think we're in a transition period where if you want to make AAA games, we're really going to need to learn to be better at it. Mm. Um, and you know, there were people on Diablo three who were on it over ten years um, by the time it shipped. So that's why I say <laughs> ten to eleven was actually more accurate. Um, and honestly, that's a travesty. That's, like, that's a whole career. A project should not last that long. It should not. Um, and no one at Blizzard looks at that and is proud. Nobody yeah. goes, like, we can work as long as we took eight years. We look at it and go, oh my God. Like, it's one thing to go like, hey, we're going to take extra time to make something right. But most of the projects I worked on for Diablo were two years. Yeah. So I was thinking like three or four years is a really long time to yeah. make a project. And I think that if you're going to make something AAA, especially if you have a lot of new, like you have new technology or a new IP or God forbid both, um, and um, if you if you're doing a lot of that, then yeah, three or four years seems totally reasonable to me. Right. Um, but right now we're 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 better than we used to be, but we are such a young industry. Yeah. Uh, we don't really know how to gauge ambition very well. We don't know. Um, we, we do things that we shouldn't do. And by we, I mean everyone, including Blizzard. Um, uh, we all do. We all make huge mistakes. We all dive into technology challenges that we don't actually need to dive into. You know, sometimes we can go, you know what? The engine we did before would probably be good enough. We, we decide, um, you know, a good example on Diablo 3, and this is, I, I, I love this example because um, it's my mistake. So I love when my examples are my mistakes. One of the things I really wanted uh, in Diablo 3 when we started was I wanted uh, we wanted it where a lot of randomness because you want a lot of replayability. But on the other hand, I also said, well, I'm not sure how much the randomness of the environment 
helped the above ground world. I think the randomness of creatures did, but I think uh, the randomness of the environment, like let's try out instead of that, let's have a more set environment so that mm-hmm. the world feels more real. You know, right. when if, if you go into the world of Warcraft and Orgrimmar moves every time you start the game up, it right. doesn't feel like a really real solid world. So, hey, let's try that out with Diablo 3, um, which I think was a totally sound idea to do, and I think it was fine. I, I think at the end of the day, it would have suited Diablo 3 better to have the random exteriors, which is why we went towards them in the expansion. Um, but at the end of the day, like the biggest reason that that was an issue was it meant that the way we built our dungeons from a pipeline standpoint was completely different than the way we built our exteriors, mm. which was a massive, massive challenge. It meant that we had to learn two completely different processes to how we build environments. Right. And building environments is one of the most time-consuming and difficult parts of making the game. That was a mistake. We should have built all the environments in the same way. It would have cut down on time. It would have been more efficient. Um, and that's totally my fault because I didn't think about that. I didn't even know that that would be an issue. It never even occurred to me. Um, and so now I would know that and I would tell people, oh, you don't do it that way because of this, because it's going to create a lot of extra work and time. Um, some of that is just um, as an industry, we don't have a lot of people who've worked in it for 20 years. Yeah. Um, stick around who have this advice. We also were really tech oriented, which means we love the new shiny. Yeah. We love to reinvent. Yeah. We'll grow out of that. Um, and so you get those kind of combos of, and we like the idea that the game industry is a young industry that's filled with people who are young. Um, and, you know, and so as a result, while well, those old people don't know what they're doing, so we don't need to listen to them. So we're not, we don't really have a structure of learning from our mistakes um, right. as both industry and honestly as a culture. We don't like failures and mistakes. We don't really learn from them. Um, the difference now, where I mean, um, Silicon Valley is starting to turn that around with a lot of their process and thinking things. Um, so, I mean, I guess the core of it is AAA. That's what, that was the core of your question. What do I think of the model? I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's really challenging. Um, yeah. And I think that it's a really good thing now that as an industry, we're not just AAA games. Yeah. That you can make huge, little tiny games and you can make medium-sized games. Um, but there's always going to be those people who want to make the AAA. They yeah. want to be the next Spielberg and make the giant. They want to be the next Zack Snyder. They want to be. They want to be the guy who's going to make the, the really big experience. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, but I do think as a model, we need to learn to focus if you're going to yeah. do AAA. I think Overwatch is actually a great example. Like Overwatch is a very focused game. They are not the highest possible graphic resolution they could possibly be. Um, and that that makes their process a little more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't do several different game modes. Um, you know, they, they did, you know, competitive multiplayer. Yeah. Is it because they didn't want to do single player or co-op? Of course, we all want those modes. Like, you know, they only did X number of modes and X number of maps. Um, there's a guy, uh, Samwise uh, Didier, Sam, um, uh, Sammy, he's uh, one of the art directors at, at Blizzard, and one of the things he likes to say is if Blizzard had made Left for Dead, 
it'd have all the features of Left 4 Dead 1, 2, 3, and 4 in the first title. Damn. And that's not a good thing. Like, he was saying that as a criticism. Like, we really, I think size is not always the most important thing. I know the, the, to the consumer, to the audience, consumer, it sounds so uh, corporate, to the player, like, of course, they're always going to want more. Right. But, and, and the thing is, it's not like developers don't want to give them more. That's a problem. We want to give them the world. We want to give them everything they could ever possibly want. But I'd rather give them a great game than the world. Like right. if you can give them a great game, like if Over would would if Overwatch had had everything and came out five years from now, yeah, would that be better? No, let's play Overwatch now. Overwatch is awesome. Like yeah. you know, like let's let's do it now. Um, yeah. Do we really need to make? I'm totally gonna pick on Naughty Dog. I because I have friends there. Do we really <laughs> need multiplayer? In games. and the thing is, the guy who runs does the multiplayer competitive stuff is a really good friend of mine, and he's super talented. And I want him to stay employed, and he does a great job on it. But really, like, <laughs> is like we're doing that to to tick off a box for retail. Yeah, it's not needed. Yeah. So we could we could we don't need. If you, I think if AAA is going to survive, we need to get a little more brutal about what is actually needed to make a triple A game. Yeah. Um, and so, and then process, you've got to have a better process. Like we've got to learn from our mistakes. Um, so that's kind yeah. of my, my feeling. I don't think triple A is going anywhere right. at all. Um, I don't think, I mean, everyone's always scheming. She's terrible about like, like the future is X <laughs> every year you go to GDC and the future is a new thing that everyone needs to do right now because everything else is dead. Um, I remember the PC has been dead for 20 and since I got into the career, PC has been dead according to someone. Um, and yet, you know, people still want to play was... games on PC. People will still want to play AAA games. I want to yeah. play Call of Duty. I also want to play Minecraft. Yeah. I also want to play, I'm playing a game called RimWorld right now. It's a little uh, early release game on, on Steam. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we I, we want all these experiences. I want to play Pokemon Go. I want to I want to play each one of these games. I don't want to just be restricted. So I don't think AAA is going anywhere. But I do think if it's going to stay profitable, it needs to be done a little smarter and a little more efficiently. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that for sure. The PC being dead, it's probably like perpetuated by Valve and Blizzard. It's like <laughs> for twenty years. It's like yeah, don't look over here, guys. Well, well, I, I remember we, I, I, I credit Valve and Blizzard for the resurgence, to be honest. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's like I remember in two thousand five, two thousand six when World of Warcraft came out. That was a big like the PC is dead period. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, no nobody's on the PC. And I remember just thinking, yeah, great, because that's just more money in for Blizzard. That's just more Very players for Blizzard. Because you know, the at the time the install base for PCs was bigger then all the consoles combined mm-hmm. times a number, two, three, four, five, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And those people don't want to play games? Really? Okay, well, thanks for the audience, <laughs> the captive audience, which now like the indie community has, has captured, and good for them. Like, Good for them for finding, going like, wow, here's a big giant audience that wants to play games that everyone's ignoring. Yeah. Okay. 
And consoles are following suit. They're slowly becoming PCs, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, yeah, I think it's all about, to me, it's about the game, not about the platform. The platform, right. as some restriction, you know, changes the nature of the games that you can do. There's certain kind of games you cannot do on a phone. There, there's some people who are like, the future is mobile. And I'm like, well, mobile's awesome for what it's good at, but I, I'm not going to play Call of Duty on my phone. Right? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that the phone's bad. It just means that it's not suited to that experience. I'm, I'm also gonna, not going to watch um, a giant, huge summer blockbuster on a TV at home. I'm going to go see it in the movie theater because nobody can give me that experience. So that's okay. Both things are can exist. They're both good. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. If you're on a project for 10 years, right, and the long-running joke that I'm sure all of you guys have heard it is like the – the shelf life of a game developer, the average is like five. There's like a lot of turnover. There's people who make it outside of the five, and then there's a lot of people who don't. You know, so as a company or being an executive or a high-up developer working on a 10-year project, I imagine you realize that like, hey, we're probably going to have some turnover. We're going to have juniors who can't move up into a senior position or like a mid-level position because that team is already booked. We might have people leave because they're tired of the project. We might people have people who just are ready to retire. Like, we're talking the difference of being a 30-year-old to now a 40-year-old on one project. What does a company do to kind of handle these stressors or these, these, these occurrences that could have negatively affect the project, you know, or keep these people from getting burnt out? Um, so I will say I'm not the best company runner. You know, I'm not, I mean, you know, how to run a company. I have strong opinions, but it doesn't mean that they're the right opinions. I, I will say that um, I've had enormously talented people leave projects, um, and it was heartbreaking when they did. Um, but it's never been the death of a project, and sometimes it's actually been good for it. And it, not because a project is better off without those people, but because you almost inherently get somebody new who is excited about the project. If somebody who leaves a project, they're not leaving because they're thrilled with that project. In which case, you have to ask yourself, is this really who I want on the project? Mm-hmm. Like, as good as they might be, and as much as you might like them, like, if they're not into it, you, you know, you, they're not necessarily somebody you need or right. want. Um, and, and honestly, if you really, if your goal, and I, I, I really feel like your goal as a manager should be that your people be as happy as they can possibly be. Like I, I'm, what I want is for everybody on my project to have a blast and be really proud of what they do. Um, if they're not into the game and they like some other game more, I'd rather them go work on that game. And it's not because I don't like them. It's I actually look at it as, as because I love them. I love them so much. I want them to do what would make them happy. Mm-hmm. they're more important than the project, which sometimes means they have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because it's good for them. And actually getting somebody who is really excited about working in the project is better for the project too. Um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of how I, I view it. So every time I've had somebody leave, if it's, even though sometimes it's been really heartbreaking, a lot of the times I felt like, well, it's, it's what's good for the project. Now that's, you know, that includes some, I've never been at a company during a mass exodus. I've never had like 20 people leave a project. The most I think I've had simultaneously leave is like three. Um, now that three was super painful. Like it was, it was three 
really important people. Yeah. Um, and that was that, you know, but that project went on and did fine. Um, I can say that um, on Dawn of War, I don't think we lost a single person during development. Mm. Um, because, and I view that as because everybody on the project was super into the project. Right. Like, and that was my focus was I wanted, like, I was so excited about that game. I loved Warhammer. I was going to like, we're going to end the Warhammer curse. We were going to make the first great Warhammer 40,000 game. Like that was our goal. And so one of the things that would happen when anybody knew would come to the project, I would go and sit in a room with them for as long as it took for me to see their eyes light up and understand the joy of Warhammer. Like, mm. and, and I'm really good. At that. I'm really good at getting people excited about Warhammer. Because yeah. um, I love it so much, and so you know, if people walked out of that room thrilled about Warhammer and thrilled about the project, they're going to stay. Um, and as long as the game's good, that's the other side. Like as long as it looks like it's good. Honestly, we didn't have a lot of turnover in Diablo, um, like because it's Diablo. Like people are excited about working on it. So, I guess the first thing would be if you have a lot of turnover, is your game crappy? Mm. You're running your company crappy? Um, and if if so, then you know that's I don't I can't give you any advice on that. Um, but if otherwise, you say, well, is that person leaving because they're not a right fit for the project? If so, that's okay. You know, and you can tell people on the project, you know what, it's okay. Like we're going to get somebody who's going to be excited about the project, who's going to come in and be new energy. It's going to be good. Um, so that's kind of how I view it. Um, right. Like I said, I don't know that that's the best of advice if you have a case where, like, you know, you have a team of 40 and 20 people leave. Like, I've never experienced that. Uh, somebody you ask could probably get better advice about how to handle that kind of a situation. Well, yeah. one thing I do want to ask really quick, because you did touch on you really love Warhammer. Uh, were you a big fan of the tabletop version as well? Oh, yeah. Books, yeah, that's... Books and everything? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I am... Um, I was, um, at the time when we started that project, I had multiple armies, a massive orc army, um, a big, big painter, like play, we played at Relic before, um, you know, it was, I, there's a online, you can get this unofficial Bible of the Warhammer 40,000 universe. That's just finally been compiled by people. It's like 600 pages long. Uh, Before we started Dawn of War, I'd read that. Mm. Um, When they came, when the, Games Workshop guys came and talked to us. Like that was one of the best days of my life. Just sitting in there geeking out. Like they came in like not knowing like the level of interest that I was going to have in Warhammer. Going, oh, I hope this isn't just another guy who they, you know, like he likes to make games. He doesn't really know anything about our license. Who are the green guys? (laughs) And I'm just like, and I'm just like, I can sit there and name off every Primarch to them, you know, and talk about the the heresy and everything. So yeah, that was a huge. Huge um, Warhammer fan and huge Diablo fan too, which nice. is one of the reasons I really wanted to, to work on Diablo. I, I just I loved Diablo so much, and you know, when um, Diablo two came out, I sent my wife to see her mother. Uh, <laughs> you I sent her on away. a plane to go see her mother, and I spent I was up for like three or four days straight, and she was pregnant at the time. So. <laughs> It's like, why don't you go for a little bit? And the thing is, because she's my wife and she loves me, she understood. Uh, <laughs> Baby, don't look. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that was a that was a long long like four days and no showering and pizza and joy, yeah, pure a, joy. That's a really good story. I honestly, I feel like if you made it past the five year mark in any industry, you deserve like a four day binge on just whatever the hell you want. Man. You know, like you've earned it twice over, three times even. Well, four because you said you did twenty. So, yeah. Yeah. I will say the five years is real. Um, I've watched a lot of people get burnt out in the first five years. Um, I I can't guarantee this. Most of the people I know who've worked longer than five years, it has gotten better for them. Mm-hmm. Your five years are usually your roughest. You usually, unfortunately, a lot of companies take advantage of the very young and inexperienced. It does get better, um, <laughs> usually. Um, I mean, I wouldn't promise, but it usually gets better. Um, I would also say, like, if you're, I mean, if you're hated, then maybe it's not what you want to do for a living and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but also like the th- thing that got me through some of the really tough times was I actually stopped playing games for a bit. Yeah. Um, like that's actually how I got into Warhammer, which technically I know that's a game, but it was a tabletop game. It wasn't a video game. Like I stopped playing video games and I played Warhammer mm-hmm. for years, probably two or three years. I, that's, that was, I mean, I played a little bit, but mostly I just played video games at work mm-hmm. because that was my job. Um, and that may sound sacrilegious to people, but the truth is, is it's a, it is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And if that's what you need, if you really want to stay in games, and you, that means you need to have some alone time away from video games, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Like it, it's perfectly fine. Um, so that was, that was honestly what helped me, um, you know, spending that time doing things that were, Still, kind of game related, but weren't actually video games. Yeah, and hey, you know, it worked out because I got got to make Donald War. If I'd yeah. never taken that break from video games and spent time, you know, getting into Warhammer, I probably never would have gotten Donald War as a project. One last question for me um, before we start going back into the burnout stuff: Is there one other franchise that exists that you love as much as you would say, like you did, you know, Diablo or uh, Warhammer 40k? Like if someone were to say, "Hey, we want you to do, you know, a uh, Dungeons and Dragons adaption for iPhone," somehow you're like, "Oh, I got this," you know? Hmm. Like something else that I wish I'd gotten to work on. Yeah, like the Munchkin oh, video you... game or, or something. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little. I don't know how much people know this. I love um, the Shadow. Okay, um, yeah. Old radio shows. I actually, I own Shadow every. Knows. I, I have a, like MP3s of every single um, episode of the original radio show, um, and I love, love, love it so much. Um, and I've always been disappointed that no one's done a good version. I think one, a good movie, two, uh, or a modernized, you know, tale. Like you can still get the shadow, but they're not modernized. They're still they they feel old fashioned, like the new comics. They're really good, but but I don't think they're ever gonna how they're currently written they're still going to be really niche. Um, I think you could do a good modern version of the shadow and it could be really, really appealing. I would love to make a stealth based, um, shadow, um, action game. I think that would be so awesome if I was still making games. Well, that's a big one right there. Um, the audience might not know, but, uh, he just said, if I was still making games. So why is that? If like, what was it that you said, you know what? Hey guys, I'm done. I'm out of here. What was the thing? Um, Can you attribute it to one thing? I can't attribute it to one thing. 
Um, uh-oh. Your kid was born. I, I know. I can't. I cannot, by the time oh, okay. uh-huh. cannot attribute it to one thing. I would have loved it if you uh, said, and it's a person. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a person. Mike Morheim got me out of the game. Mike Morheim is a wonderful, wonderful man. Yeah. I could not say enough um, positive things about him. Um, I think it was a mix of things. One of them was um, actually um, the success of Diablo. Uh, I, I I didn't know how to follow that up, like, uh, and um, I I um, and usually what I would have followed that up with was would have been like another Diablo. Like okay. I would have that was that's kind of my pattern was like do one type of a game and do do a, do it again once you really know how to make it because obviously. Like you really know how to make a game after you've already made it, which is unfortunate, but it's just the truth. Um, but um, after eight years, I, I just I didn't have it in me to go back to that well, um, and and so I spent my entire career kind of having a burning desire to make a game, and yeah. it, you know it was always a specific game, or it was the game I and and what's Dawn of War happened in Diablo? It was the game I was working on, and I kind of reached a point where I'm like, I don't really have that desire anymore, mm-hmm. um, and I don't really want to work at a different company than Blizzard because I love Blizzard, but yeah. also if, if you work on a Blizzard game, you end up running an empire, mm. um, which is you know it, it it's it's a lot of responsibility. It's really high pressure. You know, I kind of wanted to make something smaller, but as Hearthstone showed, even something smaller at Blizzard is going to become an empire. And so I kind of got into this weird position where um, I don't want to leave and go somewhere else, uh, but I don't really want to make another game here. And so I tried to actually step down for a little bit and work and help other people. Like, that was one of the reasons. Like, I didn't go and I wasn't running World of Warcraft Legion. I was working for for Tom and, and his guys and doing things that I was really good at. And, and that was very enjoyable, but it wasn't challenging enough either. So it was, it, it was like, well, you know, I, this is something I've done before. I know how to do this. So I didn't really know how to, I didn't really know how to do what I'd always done, which is be challenged and get better. And I'm not yeah. saying I couldn't get better at making games. Um, cause Lord knows I could be better at making games. <laughs> But that I didn't know how to be better at making games and enjoy what I was doing. Um, and so that was part of it. I've always wanted to be a writer. Since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a writer. Um, and so that desire to do something different and do something I've always had a dream of doing, so that was a big part of it. Um, my family wanted to move back to the Pacific Northwest. That was actually a huge part of it that I you know, don't really can't, it's personal, so you can't really talk about it, but it's a sure. huge part. Um, so, so there were a bunch of different reasons, um, but those are, those are all, it, I had honestly, it was not burnout. Um, I think a lot of the times people leave the industry because of burnout and that's reasonable. I actually really still enjoyed making games like right. um, work. I really liked working on WoW. I thought it was super fun and I thought the team was amazing. It was like so great to work with, like never been on a team of, people who just move like because you know they say like wow's a moving train like it's and it's going fast like so you get on board because that's you're not going to have a choice it will leave you behind and as a result like everybody in the project they're all about like how can we make this happen for you like and and that's kind of amazing atmosphere like uh 
I, it was new to me because everything else I ever worked on was not a live game. Like we did not need to ship content in, you know, a couple months. Yeah, yeah. We did not. We, we just didn't have that constant pressure, and it changes the nature of the project. It was really fun to be on a live project where that was the, the where you're constantly getting to interact with the audience. So um, it wasn't really burnout. It was just that I, I did not know what worlds I wanted to conquer next other than worlds I'd never tried, which would be the writing side. And I did a lot of writing in the game industry, but um, on mostly on projects before. I actually didn't do any writing, I think, at Blizzard. Um, but at projects I've worked on before, I had. And so it wasn't a, it was something I knew I still liked doing. Okay. Um. I know I said the last question that I had was the last question, but I have one more question. It's okay. <laughs> what was your... I, I like talking, so I love no, talking about this. Too, is, this so. is awesome. We like having guests that actually like to talk. I mean, go figure, right? <laughs> so my last talk question for you. So much trouble. Though. Oh, we so. will. Like I said, I'll edit. I promise. I'll edit out <laughs> all the stuff. <laughs> Anything that would offend someone, please edit out. <laughs> so, what was your favorite moment or experience? in your entire career as a game developer? What do you look back on and say, this is the star that's on my coat that I'm the most proud of? Um, well, it wasn't something I did, but it was something I was involved in. Um, you know, honestly, I kind of want to say, you know, I always want to say, like, Dawn of War was actually such a project I was so proud of. But, um, but the experience that I always go, there wasn't this one defining moment in there. Whereas for Diablo three, when we announced the demon hunter at BlizzCon mm -hmm. uh, and um, the cinematics team, the cinematic they did, I, I just thought it nailed it so well. You know, this idea that we always had of let's have our heroes be these incredible, like dark, but also heroic characters. And, and I mean, if you go back and watch that video at the end of it, you know, the, the demon hunter looks to the, the girl that she saved and said, tells her, you know, you can be the hunted or the hunter and hands her a weapon. Mm. And it's just like, it's like, it was like we were talking to the audience, like, come on, come join us, come play with us. It's going to be awesome. I thought that was such a great announcement it's such a great video and the audience seemed to like it so much um it to me it kind of nailed what i thought the tone we wanted with diablo 3 so that's the single moment i look back on probably closely followed by when we first announced and i, I was standing backstage and listening to the 12 string guitar play and the cinematic scared out of my mind because <laughs> it was like 13,000 people live and I think we were on live television as well and I'd never spoken I think the biggest group I'd ever spoken to was like 100 people um, so I was I was literally crapping myself but so but I would say it was yeah it was the Demon Hunter announcement but it's just it's always been special to me That's, that takes me back man I remember being one of those 13,000 people like oh I wonder what this is going to be <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome man I First, before I get into the last segment, I just want to thank you very much for your time. This has been very educational for myself and inspiring because I'm going to be like, hey, you know what, Larry? Just be good at your damn job and let the rest fall into place. Because I've been victim of like the, oh, man, like I want to have these goals attained versus like, Larry, your daily goal should just be I need to get better. I need to be an improved asset to this company. So that's profound knowledge. And I thank you for that. Now, 
It is an hour in the podcast, and you have made it. You passed our test, and <laughs> your reward for your vigor is we're going to allow you to talk to our audience, to promote, to shout out, to special thank or recommend anything that is near and dear to you or important for our audience to know that they don't yet know about. So uh, with all things said by me and Brandon, the floor is yours. Oh God! Um, so I, you know, I would, you know, you told me ahead of time that I would get to do this. So I've been thinking about it. I have nothing to promote because I'm, I'm just starting in my new, new career. So what I would say is to anyone, I, I hope, I, I, I assume that a lot of people here who are listening to it are really, um, they want to make games, and hopefully, they're that's why they want to get in the game industry is they want to make games. And um, I just say, you know, that's a great, great aspiration. Like I think sometimes people talk about games like they're trivial, like they're they don't matter. They're they're simple. I don't really think there are many things that you can do that are better in this world to bring fun to another person, to bring joy to another person. So if you want to make games, you know, goddamn it, go make some games. I want to play them. Yes. So good luck to you, um, and you know, make sure that you, like I said, don't pace yourself. <laughs> get past that five-year mark it's rough um, but honestly if you want to make games I, it, it's it's a fantastic fantastic thing to do mm. well, we have it uh since i've got the mic and everyone else is quiet i'm larry charles on behalf of game dev unchained the podcast good night this is brandon fam thank you for joining us later and jay go good night Woo! <laughs> <laughs> all right if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.